0: Welcome to the King's Island Central Podcast. KICentral.com is King's Island's ultimate fan site. Now, here's your host, Robbie Zerhusen. This is Brad Perdue with podcast number 15 with special guest Don Helbig, Area Manager of Digital Marketing at King's Island. Robbie is out this evening because his wife had a baby over the weekend, so congratulations to him. So it'll just be me and Don this evening. Tell us a little bit about yourself,
1: Don. Well, you know, growing up, I was always interested in sports and going to amusement parks. Those were my two main interests and passions. Nothing else really grabbed my attention. So it was kind of natural that uh, my career path uh, would involve both of those industries before uh, coming to Kings Island. I spent 18 years working in professional hockey uh, as a director of media and public relations, also play-by-play radio broadcaster, did a little bit of arena football uh, broadcasting and uh, also have spent uh, parts of the past 16 seasons helping out the Cincinnati Bengals PR staff on game days. Uh, and then the last 15 seasons, you know, counting this one coming up at Kings Island. Oh, wow. So do you consider yourself a coaster enthusiast? You know, not really. Uh, what I consider myself is more of an amusement park, uh, theme park enthusiast, more than a roller coaster enthusiast, you know, as a kid. Growing up, going to Cincinnati's old Coney Island, uh, Kings Island in the early years, you know, always got kind of lost in the atmosphere of the park, Mm -hmm. Uh, the midways, the landscaping, the rides, you know, the buildings, the colors, uh, the live entertainment going on. You'd see the characters around the park, you know, all the sounds, uh, you know, the atmosphere just really, you know, captured me and uh, it still does today. So it's always been more about the whole park experience for me, not just roller coasters. So what is
0: your favorite ride at the park and why?
1: My favorite ride at Kings Island would be the racer. And the reason being is it was my first ever roller coaster that I rode. I rode it nine times. The first time I visited the park in 1972, my cousin had to pay me 50 cents to go on it. Uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to know part of it, uh, you know, as a kid at Coney Island, uh, and this is an interesting story. You know, the last day the park was open in 1971, it was Labor Day, September 6th. And I went through the line with my sister to ride the shooting star, sat down in the seat, and then got up and left. Uh, The train behind it was roaring through the the tunnel and the sound of it kind of scared me so I got out didn't want to ride it. it just looks so, I mean, I lo- I was really attracted to, you know, just, you know, they were so massive, you know, looking right. at the star as a kid. And then, uh, you know, when you're a kid at Kings Island, you're walking down the Coney Mall Midway and just the, the sheer size of the racer and looking at it from the Eiffel Tower, uh, you know, kind of intimidating when you're young. So I want to know part of it. And yeah. uh, my cousin <laughs> paid me 50 cents to ride it with them. Uh, we ended up riding it nine times that day. And I was you know hooked ever since on riding roller coasters. But, you know. So that makes it special. Just that it was my first roller coaster. But I really can't go down Coney Mall, look at the racer, and not conjure up memories of that first uh, you know time riding that. Mm-hmm.
0: Did uh did you give him those 50 cents back when you got back?
1: No, I mean, well, you what it? I did was at that time, <laughs> I mean, I was hungry, so I used it to buy a hot dog. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I wanted to eat lunch, so I had to ride the racer. Well, there you go.
0: <laughs> got the racer and lunch. That's right. Can't beat that. Coaster enthusiasts local to King's Island. No Don has a long track record on his rides on the racer at King's Island. What is your current ride count on the racer? Current ride count,
1: 12,038. Wow. uh, That's non-consecutive ride. So it wasn't one of those situations where I just stayed on it uh, or rode, you know, four or five, six times in a row without getting off. So those were all non-consecutive rides.
0: Wow. Well, we talked about it uh, on the previous podcast with Bill Medford and, I didn't know. I didn't even come close.
1: It sounds like so. <laughs> How long ago did you start riding the racer? In terms of counting toward uh, what became really was ten thousand rides from nineteen eighty one to nineteen ninety. Uh, it started in nineteen eighty one. Um, I did have you know previous rides each of the year that King's On was open leading up to that point that got added into that but i didn't go a lot you know it was maybe one maybe two times a season yeah and you know five six rides here so you know you're adding 74 75 rides to that count uh when i started in 1981 um, so it was over a 10-year period to get to 10,000 rides and then you wow. know, it's taken with the next 70 whatever it's been you know 27 years or whatever to get just over 2,000 more
0: yeah did you set any
1: records with your time riding the racer i did uh, there were was a total of maybe fifteen different records uh, that could be acknowledged for the racer. The first three records would be individual um, rides in one day type mm-hmm. records. Not really what started it. Kind of all was uh, I wanted the one day record on the racer, and it was ninety six. And oh wow, I would get fifty four one day and twenty six the next day and seventeen, and then thirty eight. And the number started adding up a little bit. But uh, the three records I set was I did end up breaking in nineteen eighty one. The one day record, it was on August 9th that year. Um, I rode it 97 times and then in 1982 had 111 and then in 1987 had 112. And again, those were all non consecutive rides. And the way it is today with the racer, uh, you know, you have the individual lap bars, the seat belts, everyone's bringing their luggage on the ride. So the right. trains don't dispatch as quickly as they used to. Um, it would be incredibly, diff- incredibly difficult to uh, ride it more than 112 times non-consecutively in one day
0: yeah i don't know how you did that because going to some of the events coaster stock and uh when we used to do the um coasting for kids um i think i got 100 rides in one day but that was sometimes not even getting out of the seat and you know riding four or five times without leaving the seat so that is an amazing feat for you to be able to get that many rides uh or you uh, conning people in the line to cut or did you actually No, it was uh,
1: like i said the one was on a sunday and it was a fluke in 1981 when i got the 97 um, because normally sundays were a little bit busier but uh, the other two came at the end of august beginning of september uh, during the week when the park was open then you know the kids are back in school so in running four trains as soon as i got off the ride i would circle back up and as soon as i came in to the station you know it was time to get back on the next train, you know, so it it was something that, uh, you know, it was just set up to really do that the way the ride was, uh, operating back then, uh, where the train came in and within 30, 40 seconds later, it's dispatching. So uh, that really had a lot to do with the, just the dispatch times back then, you know, you had to get the train out. Um, it wasn't like it is today where it's gonna, you know, you're going to wait in that tunnel for, you know, sometimes two, three minutes before the next one dispatches. I mean, you were coming in Right. So, uh, so that was, I was fortunate that I, I hit that at the right time. Yeah, sounds like it. Um,
0: what made you start wanting to marathon the racer? I, I know you kind of fell in love with it on that first time through, but what made you say, I'm going to go see if I can write it 50 times today?
1: Yeah, it was uh, coming up the first couple of times in 1981. I was working uh, at the time at Riverfront Stadium as a novelty vendor for the Cincinnati Reds. They went on strike. In early June I had the season pass uh, a couple of the rides I wanted to ride were shut down you know had some had some issues that day the bat being one of them mm-hmm. uh, the, the beast had gone down so I was spending my time at the racer and a girl that I had uh, gone to high school with had just graduated with uh, you know a week or so before uh, was one of her first days working the ride and uh, so I just asked her Uh, I said, "What? what's the one day record? And she asked her supervisor and the supervisor called the rides office and, you know, found that it was 96 and that it had been done in 1976. And, Hmm. uh, you know, so I wrote it like 54 times that day. And then a couple of days later, (laughs) came back and was like, I'll try it again today. You know, got like 30 something. And then it just kind of went from there to where that did not seem like it was going to happen. But then the numbers started you know, racking up, and it wasn't something that was by design. I wasn't planning to write it a thousand times, two thousand times. You know, any of those types kind of
0: started rolling and happening. Exactly, and it just started oh. going
1: from there, and and uh, so it just evolved in what it what it did. Uh, I never set a definite goal on what I wanted to accomplish um, with it. Uh, they just all kind of happened. And you know, you you asked a few minutes ago about the different records and that, and there were the individual day records, and then. Um, you know, the milestone record. So Mm -hmm. I was the first person to hit 1000 on the racer, the first person hit 2000, the first person hit 3000. When I hit 4000, I was the first person to ever uh, hit 4000 non consecutive rides on the same roller coaster. And then that just kind of went on all the way up until now 12,000 rides. So, you know, total 15 different records, but none of it was by, by design, I never set out to do it. I just felt that um, you know it was just fun, you know. Oh. I was just having so much fun with it. Loved the ride, loved the atmosphere being in the park, and and I'd ride other rides too. Uh, so and I think that was a big part of it is that it just wasn't about the racer. I was I was doing, you know, the entire park, and the racer was where the focus was, you know, right. on me what the park was doing. Um, but you know, I was riding the beast and and uh, you know everything. So it was just so much fun. Uh, I never really looked at it as. I have to get this many rides today, or, or this is the year I want to get this many rides, or I'm going to try to end up with 10,000 rides. It just kind of evolved in what, into what it did.
0: Right. So you mentioned riding other rides. Do you have any high counts on any
1: other rides? I have 3,902 on the beast. I had 1,199 on the vortex. i got over a thousand rides on the KI Miami Valley railroad. I had over 800 rides on King Cobra. Um, you know, there's just a lot of rides that I've got, you know, more than 500 rides on. And if you really take every ride that Kings Island has had over the years and during my years coming up there as a pass holder and, mm-hmm. and just now hopping in, you know, every now and then the ride rides like Orion and that is, as somebody that works at the park, um, I've got over 20,000 lifetime rides at Kings Island. And then you wow. factor in the shows and, and you know, that number can kind of grow to 23,000, 24,000, uh, you know, like where's the add all those up. So, Um, you know they used to have a marketing slogan was do it all and I certainly did that (laughs) so
0: you seem to have these numbers down or is this all in your brain do you remember this or do you have little counters do you have a piece of paper are you on uh, your arm with a sharpie like I've seen some people
1: at the park uh, counting down the the numbers right now I mean I just have you know I just remember things, you know. I can look at a calendar and I can see a date, and you know, it could say August twenty sixth, and I'd say, "Oh yeah, that's the day I got my three thousandth ride in 1982. So I mean, I just remember things like that. I remember the dates uh-huh. the park opened, rides open. So I just had that kind of memory, but it's kind of um, oh, that's amazing, gentlemen, or what I, I remember that stuff. Night. You know, yeah, I remember that <laughs> stuff. You know, I, I don't remember that it's you know time to pay the bills or any of that kind of those kind of things never register my brain uh, with that. But it's always been numbers, whether it's sports or um, with amusement park rides and I they just you know just remember all that but I did track it I had you know the the notebooks and things at home what I would do is I would have the, the you would come through the parking tolls and they would give you the the park map there um, it was a ride guide in the early years it wasn't necessarily a park map but more of a guide yeah but I would write down the date on it and I would write down how many times I rode each ride that day and stick it in the glove compartment at the end of the year, you know, bring them all out and, you know, and then I would take those numbers and I would transfer it into, you know, what would now be an Excel sheet type of thing. But right. I had those numbers, you know, documented that way. And uh, the park was able to keep track because what I had to do at the end of the night, I would go into the marketing office and uh, Ruth Bossett was the uh, PR manager at the time uh, through nine of those years. And then it was Carolyn Bose at the end in 1990 when I was getting to 10,000, but I would, put down, uh, you know, here's my count today. Here's the season total. Here's the lifetime total. So when they would get calls from the media, they would know exactly where I was. Uh, They never had to reach out to me and say, where are you at right now? They knew every day, you know, what my ride was.
0: So you gave them an update every day,
1: every day. Yeah. And that's, that's something that, uh, and the ride, the people that worked on the ride, the associates back then, you know, they would verify that you know, I was there, I was riding it this many times and that, so there was never any question. There was always witnesses that, that could attest the right. question that, yeah, he, he was here and yeah, he wrote it this many times
0: that day. So after all those rides and all this time, you ever gotten sick while riding?
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. One time on the racer, uh, 7,221 was the ride number at skyline, chili for lunch. Oh, uh, the day that it was 90 something degrees. My friends were down from Milwaukee and, they want to go right from the, the, the porch and Coney mall where, you know, we were eating the, the food for lunch and they wanted to get right back on the racer. And I was like, oh, I need to set this one out for a minute. And they're like, no, no, let's ride, you know? And okay. So it wasn't why the ride was going, it was going up the lift hill. <laughs> that, oh, geez. That I, that <laughs> I um, you know, I just kind of lost my lunch a little bit there. And, uh, but I was skilled enough that I got it on the, you know, the, the, the floor of the train, nothing on me. And I was able to get out of the train quick enough that nobody on the ride knew that I was the one that did that. Oh, nice! And then one other time, I got sick on a ride at uh, uh, Magic Kingdom. It was um, uh, small, a uh, small world, but it wasn't the ride. It was just that song that made me sick. Yeah, the, the song. <laughs> but no, that, that's <laughs> but no, real. That's the only time on a ride I've ever gotten sick.
0: Oh. Huh. So, on when you're getting your, your most of your rides in, um, and it became a, kind of became more of a thing for you to go. Uh, how many trips per season would you go between that time period per it was season? In
1: the, yeah, it was in, it averaged in this you know mid 60s uh, range. I had 96 visits in 1982. That was my high. Now back then they weren't open. Uh, daily operation didn't start until. Uh, Memorial day. So you didn't have a lot of those days in may that you could go. Right. Uh, The park was not open in the fall, you know, labor day weekend and maybe one or two other weekends. And that's all you had. Mm. Uh, So it wasn't like now where you have an additional, you know, 25, 30 possible days that you can visit. Uh, I normally did not go on on Saturdays too often, except for early in the season when it first opened. But once daily would start, that would kind of be the day I would, you know, take off and and go to a Reds game or something, but uh, about 65, you know, on average, uh, 655 visits was when I hit my 10,000th ride in 1990. So, um, hmm. you know, I, I was there, you know, almost daily, but not every day.
0: Right. Um, what did your family think about you spending so much time at the park?
1: You know, my, my mom and dad, they, they were, you know, they, they thought it was kind of cool, you know, that their, their son was doing this. Uh, they were, they were more worried and they were more puzzled by the fact that I was, in my 20s, still playing baseball and hockey. Uh, they they kind of didn't get that. They worried that if I got hurt, you know, with insurance and all those kind of things, I would, you know, miss work. And and so they, they were looking at that as, why are you doing that? They never really questioned, why are you going to Kings Island every day and riding the racer uh, too much? Right. Uh, my brother and sister, they at first, you know, had fun with it. They liked going up when I was doing the milestone rides. But after a little while, they kind of uh, got tired of people asking them about it they would you know whether they're at work or with their friends and that uh or we were at family get-togethers with you know cousins and other relatives they would uh, be asking about it and i think mm-hmm. they kind of got tired of you know somebody always say hey i saw your brother you know on the news <laughs> how many rides does your brother have on the racer now and i think they got a little tired of that and i think um so for them yeah they got fatigued about it real quick and yeah,
0: they didn't get daily updates like the park did
1: <laughs> no from you no, no. <laughs> they, they would hear about it from their friends and i think they just kind of would roll their eyes about it
0: uh-huh couldn't back then you couldn't really just text your family and say hey i got 20 today
1: no 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 but they didn't want it. yeah my, my my brother and sister i think i mean they liked it like i said they they thought it was kind of neat but i think mm-hmm. just having their friends and co-workers and i'd always asking them about it like how many rides your brother have now or I saw him on the news uh they just kind of uh fatigued on that
0: well you mentioned a minute ago you you played some sports so i take you had other other hobbies besides king's island
1: yeah uh You know, growing up, big sports fan. So for me, you know, it was um, in addition to going to just amusement parks around the country and that, and riding different roller coasters, or seeing different parks. uh, It was also about traveling around the country and going to different stadiums in the summer uh, to to see how many of those you know I, I could. You know, every year I'd pick out a vacation week, and I would. It might be to say, Pittsburgh, and I would see, you know, three or four Pirates games, or it might be to Tampa, and I would see some Tampa Bay Rays games. Mm -hmm. So, that was one of my hobbies, was just trying to see as many different stadiums as I could uh, in the wintertime. It was about uh, trying to see as many different hockey arenas as I could. Uh, So, those are the kind of things that I I like to do, was just, you know, travel around, see different uh, sporting events in in these different venues, and I was as interested and fascinated about stadiums and And, uh, you know, hockey arenas as as I am amusement parks.
0: (laughs) Do you have a favorite day of the week that you like going to the park? If so, why?
1: I always like Sundays when I was doing the racer rides, because it was a day that it was normally light in the morning up until about one o'clock and then it would kind of, um, you know, lighten up again at the end of the day, like five, six o'clock, people would start to to head back out. It was more locals. You weren't getting as many of the out of town people coming on on those days. Uh, So it was a day that I knew if I went on a Sunday that I was going to have a pretty productive day in terms of how many rides I was going to get on the racer and some of the other rides.
0: Right. So you mentioned updating the park some earlier each day. So what did the park when they start noticing you getting lots of rides in, how, how did that kind of come about?
1: Well, the racer crew pretty much right away because of the, you know, the, the girl that was working the ride that I had gone to school with and then trying to set that one day record. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit after I had 500 rides, um, that, um, Ruth Voss was in the racer station. She had, uh, was one of those triple a outings and the kids were riding the ride. And I, it was channel 12. I think mm-hmm. was the, the, the station that was there. And while she was in the station, uh, the supervisor, uh, he kind of pointed me out in line and said, you know, this guy's here about every day. day. He's um, got over 500 rides on this. And, uh, you know, she kind of thought that was interesting. Right. Uh, she also had at the same time, Carl Eichelman was riding the beast.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so she's kind of thinking maybe the same thing. So I get off the ride and she comes up to me and she introduces herself and asked if I'd be available to, uh, meet her for lunch you know if i was going to be there another day that week and i you know told her i'm here pretty much every day right now mm-hmm. and um, and then i told her why and i said you know i'm working at riverfront stadium and on strike so until that ends i'm going to be here every day so right away in her mind she's thinking it's not about me how many rides i have at that point in time the story for her is what does a um, stadium novelty vendor do when there's no baseball right so that's the story in her head that's that's brewing and then she wanted to get to know me just to see you know if she did do any stories with me you know how I would be in interviews and things like that and I can tell you at the very beginning terrible (laughs) was uh, (laughs) I was uh, very you know introverted didn't really talk too much to people Mm -hmm. Um, so she had to kind of help bring that out of me a little bit I think riding the racer did that uh, for me It, it forced me to talk to people um, that's so true good thing there but but that's how you know she started taking note of it and then she said what i want you to do is every day you come you know update me on how many rides you have and and just let's just keep a running tally and she asked you know do you have a long range goal and then i just told her no i just you know as long as it's fun you know as long as i'm enjoying it you know i'll keep doing it
0: yeah and that was
1: my yeah. stance the whole you know 10 seasons that i was doing it up to ten thousand was was always as long as it's fun i'll continue to do it
0: mm. Explain to us what the benefit would be of using you for news stories and interviews for the park.
1: Well, it was a way for the park to keep the name Kings Island out there and to get it um, not only local, but also throughout the region and and even nationally uh, to get the name out there. So it wasn't so much what I was doing. It was the opportunity to to have Kings Island in front of people, top of mind awareness. So that was the, the purpose uh, for what they were doing. If nobody was going to pick up the story, you know, nobody would have cared, you know, in the marketing department, what I was doing right. at that time. So it was just a way to do that. And then also when, you know, you're doing these interviews and I'm talking about the racer, I'm talking about the beast, I'm talking about their shows. It's third party credibility for the park. True. You know, it's, yeah. the, the park's going to you know, send out releases and say, we got all these you know shows and things, but you get one of your guests talking about it that way. Uh, it adds that third party credibility. And that was important for the park
0: and someone who's there a lot and can speak personally about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now, now you would term that an influencer, you know, but uh, Mm -hmm. back then it was uh, just a way for them to, uh, and not only myself, but Carl Eichelman, you know, to, to put us out there and, and have us, you know, saying all the things that uh, was going to add that, that credibility that if somebody from the park said, this is the best ride ever, you know, Nobody's going to really listen to it. They're going to say, of course they say that they work at the park. Right. But you get a guest to say that, you know, it, it gets people's attention.
0: Right. So what are some of the other media outlets uh, that you did interviews with at the time?
1: Well, it was all over the place. You know, after I got to 5000, that's when it really, really skyrocketed with that. But a lot of national things, though, there was uh, Good Morning America. Uh, oh, wow. And Entertainment Tonight. John Tesh was one of the ones that... Uh, did an interview with me um real people was a was a tv show back then uh people magazine uh did did a couple of stories there was um you know just all of those different publications back then uh, usa today new york times uh was, wow. was interested in it uh as i was approaching you know over seven thousand rides you know they did a nice story on it. and then at ten thousand, so it uh you know a lot of national type thing some of them were live shots good morning america was was a live shot that i did i did this a couple different times uh you know so uh it it got me a lot of experience uh being in front of a camera and and talking to the media uh, yeah which paid off off after i ended up uh, going into the, the pr field
0: yeah really so on some of those interviews were they mostly at the park or did you travel anywhere to have these interviews as well
1: it was both. Uh, there were times that I would travel to TV stations in uh, Columbus, Indianapolis, um, Dayton to do different uh, afternoon shows, uh, morning news shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would also come to the park. A lot of these stations back then had more people, so they could they could travel a lot more than they they're able to do now because the, they had the staffing numbers to be able to do it. And then when you're you know you're looking at the Good Morning Americas. Uh, those type of interviews, inter, uh, entertainment tonight, uh, that would be where they would have uh, the local affiliate uh, where those shows aired would come out and, uh, you know, either set up the satellite truck or they would uh, record it and, and feed it to them.
0: Oh, OK. So when you traveled like to Indy or Columbus, did you get any reimbursements for that from the news organization or was it uh, all your expense? The,
1: the park would cover the mileage. You know, oh, okay. I didn't know. I very seldom turned it in, you know, because I was just having fun with it, you know. But they would always say, "Well, track your mileage, turn it in," you know. But uh, you know, I, I seldom did.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, did Carl ever do one with you when he was riding the beast? We did Any several interviews? together.
1: Yeah, yeah, several oh, okay. interviews together. Yeah, he was more inter- I mean, at the time, I was, you know, I really just wanted to ride the ride. I wasn't, uh, you know, exactly always excited that the attention, you know, was, I felt a little uncomfortable with that sometimes when, when all eyes are on you. Right. Uh, You know, but Carl, you know, he was a natural in front of the camera and he loved it, you know, and, and so a lot of times I would let him do all the talking and I would just kind of, you know, being there and saying, you ride the race. Yeah, that's right. And know, let Carl do the rest of it. Um, Because I was, you know, like I said, it wasn't something that um, you know, I, I did not grow up comfortable you know, talking in front of a lot of people and that. So yeah, uh, it it was, uh, it was more geared for him at the beginning. And then I got more comfortable with it as the years went by.
0: Mm -hmm. Did any other park become aware of what you were doing and what was their reaction?
1: Uh, Other parks did become aware of it, especially after 5,000. And then, you know, some of the national you know, TV shows and, and, you know, getting in the New York times and that, and what they would do is they would, uh, reach out, invite me to media day events when they would have new ride openings. Uh, Some of them I could go to, uh, some of them, you know, I wasn't able to, but at that time it wasn't open to the world type of of things with media events where all the coaster enthusiasts got to go. It was, you know, very small list of VIPs and media. So Mm -hmm. there were times that, uh, you know, I did get to go to some of these other, other parks because they wanted again that third party credibility here's a guy with a world record for the most rides on a roller coaster at king's island he's here riding our ride what does he think um,
0: so oh, yeah
1: so there, there was there was uh several of those opportunities that came up you know from the mid 80s and and on really into the the time i started working at king's island
0: oh wow so what were your thoughts when the park
1: decided to turn the south
0: racer backwards
1: <laughs> um you know, it was one of those things that I knew what the experience was going to be like, because sitting in the backseat of the racer at that time, they did not have the headrest and that, you know, you could kind of turn around and, and oh, see yeah. the track behind you in that. Uh, so I kind of knew what the experience was going to be like. Uh, Ruth Voss called me maybe about two weeks, 12 days before the media day event. And she kind of, you know, clued me on what was happening. She said, look, you know, we're, we're looking at turning one side of the racer around. Here's why we. You know, are looking to do this. Mm-hmm. If we have a media day on this day, would you be able to uh, come on out and, and and talk to the media about it? You know. Yeah. Uh, so we, you know, so from that point, you know, I had a, an advance notice that it was coming, and then when I came to the park the weekend before they did that, you know, the different uh, associates on the ride, you know, they all knew about it and they were, you know, telling me what was was happening and trying to get my thoughts. Some of the maintenance guys were mentioning it to me and. Mm-hmm. I asked one of the maintenance guys, you know, what's involved. And, you know, they told me it was really pretty simple. They just had to flip around the, you know, the, the chain dogs and just do a couple of adjustments with the the lap bar, you know, in, in the station in terms of where it connected and that. So oh, wow. it wasn't a, you know, a massive project to do right. it. Um, I understood why they were looking to do it. And, uh, but it was supposed to be a novelty. It wasn't supposed to be something that was going to carry on for 26 years. Uh, but the first you know, from 1982, when I did my 2000th rides and the 3000th rides, you know, they always wanted me in the, in the backwards car to promote that. Um, so all the way up to through 5,000, it was, if you can ride it backwards, you know, that'd be awesome. So they could always talk about it being, you know, the only roller coaster in the world, full length, you know, backwards traveling wooden coaster Yeah. in the stories. Uh, by the time we got to, you know, 6,000 rides, I was like, Hey, wait a minute, I'm calling the shots. now. I'm riding <laughs> forward, you know, so I, I did it forward from, you know, 6,000 through 10,000 on that but you no know, it was fun it was uh it was different it was unique you know it had its time in its place and uh you know it was something that a lot of a lot of the king's island guests you know even to this day they still talk about it
0: so if the park wanted to turn the
1: south side back around again could they do it you know absolutely i mean you could uh it'd be a little more involved now because the technology is different mm-hmm. um you know with the the braking system and the individual lap bars and the seat belts and all. I mean, it's, it's a lot more involved than it, than it would have been, but yeah, I mean, they they could do it, but you know, I don't think you'll see that happen.
0: Right. So what advice would you have for someone wanting to set a record on
1: a ride today? Well, there's several things. Number one, you have to absolutely love the ride. Uh, you can't do it just because you're wanting to set a record. If you do that and you're starting out, you know, at ground zero and you say, I want to ride just 5,000 times, 1,000 times, you're probably not going to be able to do that. And it's also going to, um, start to become more of a, of a chore. You know, you're going to feel obligated that you have to be there. You have to get your rides. in. and when you get to that point, you're just not going to continue. You're not going to do it. So really, it's gotta be something that you, you have fun, you enjoy it. And you also have to be able to make the time. To be able to—that's a big thing, you know. When right. I was when I was riding the racer, you know, I wasn't married. I, um you know, didn't have uh, very many responsibilities. You know, not a lot of bills or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the, you know, basic car payments. So I can make the time to do it, and that's another thing that you just have to be able to make the time uh, to do it. But if you try to set a record on something, you're probably not going to do it, and you're doing it for the wrong reasons. You know, you yeah. really have to do it because you love the ride.
0: Yeah. I can see that. So, I know those uh, things that you got to consider if you're going to do something like that is how much is it going to cost you? Did you ever track your expenses going to the park, let's say, through your first 10,000
1: times? I did. 10,000 um, rides. Sorry, I, I, I know about, yeah, I, yeah from <laughs> 1981 to through 1990, uh, I spent over $13,000 um, going to the, the park. Now, you got to remember back then, there wasn't the dining plan. There wasn't uh, free parking with a season pass, you know, so I had to pay to park every single day. So that adds oh. up, you know, when you're going 65, 70, 80 times a year,
0: right. You
1: know, when it's two, $3 a day, that adds up. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you're eating two or three meals a day, that adds up. Um, it's something that, uh, you know, my wife cringes whenever she hears that number because she's like, that could have been a new car. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I was having so much fun, you know, Brad, w- with what I was doing mm-hmm. at, uh, you know, I, I got so much value out of my season pass, you know, and then, oh, definitely. Yeah. uh, so, uh, I, I never looked at it as, uh, you know, I wish I had that money back, right? Uh, the, the, the fun that I had, the people that I met, uh, the, you know, just all those experiences, uh, you know, well, it, was worth it every, helped you it was uh, worth, in
0: your career as well. You know, yeah, the, uh,
1: worth every penny. Could call it a college tuition. <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> sorry, my, yeah, my daughter. Sorry, you got to pay for your own. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so, did your coaster writing lead you to start working for Kings Island?
1: I would say that it, um, what it did was it made me uniquely qualified. Uh, for the position at Kings Island and what I mean by that is um, I had the PR experience because I had been working in professional hockey for 18 years. Mm -hmm. So I had the media and public relations experience. Uh, But from what I did with the racer, um, I really knew the park and not just at a guest level. I knew all the inner workings. I knew where all the different offices were for each Mm -hmm. division around the park. I knew who was in those offices. Um, I knew who I would have to go to if I wanted to do a morning uh, live shot and who I needed to talk to to make sure the fountain was on or the lights were on. Right. Uh, If I wanted to do a media event, who I needed to get with to make sure, you know, everything was going to be okay, you Mm -hmm. know, in terms of clearance and all that. So I already knew all those kind of things. So I was ahead of the game. Yeah. Uh, But then also just knowing the history of the park, uh, having connections already with the media from from uh, what I did with the racer, a lot of those, uh, you know, a lot of the media was still around, you know, as producers and yeah, and mm-hmm. we're still were there. And, uh, so it was an opportunity where I could come in, I could hit the ground running. There wasn't going to be that acclimation period of where I had to learn the park. I had to learn, uh, all the protocols and what you had to do to get something done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it set me up to be uniquely qualified.
0: Right. Uh, a lot less position. training.
1: Yeah, exactly. With that, uh, PR is PR. Um, I think that, uh, you know, if you got that experience, you can kind of go anywhere and do it. Uh, the thing that separated me and made me what I was as a PR person, both in, in professional sports and Kings Island, was the, the passion that I had. You know, the interest and the passion. When that's there, you're going to do your job a lot better. That's true. Uh, so so I, I don't know that I could have gone to uh, some other kind of brand, you know, some other thing to, to do PR and been as good at it. I don't think it would have worked out that way.
0: Yeah. So, having been the subject of marketing for Kings On back all those years, how is marketing rides and attractions different today?
1: I think what makes it different uh, today is the technology that's now available uh, to communicators to share the stories uh, with their audiences. When I was setting records on the racer or when they were introducing rides like King Cobra and the Vortex, uh, you had to rely on the media. Uh, mm-hmm. To get the word out, you know, you could have your in-park signage, but uh, you really had uh, the, the media was was the one that was going to spread that news, you know, not only locally, but, uh, you know, throughout the region and you yeah. know, maybe nationally about what you were doing today with all the technology. I mean, you can become the media yourself. You can go straight to your audience, you know, Facebook, Instagram, uh, right. Twitter, YouTube. Uh, so there's just more ways for you to, you know, with your own blog, even, I mean, there's there's just ways for you to tell those stories that you had to rely on the media before uh, to get the word out, but you're, you you know, with what you have now with social media and the people that follow you, they're definitely interested in you. So you're really hitting the right audience every time too. So mm-hmm. that's what's really changed in terms of marketing. You just have so many other ways now uh, right. to tell your story that than you did before.
0: And also with that experience before, did that change the way you think of communication and marketing in your position today?
1: Yeah, it definitely did. Um, when I came into Kings Island, it was a way for me to know that um, you know, there are stories beyond the stories. Uh, you know, everybody has the the basic you know stories that you want to do when you open for a new season. You, you know, you have your new attraction, you have new food items, new shows, those kind of things. Yeah. Um, but it was a way for me to know that there are so many stories out in the park uh, that I could find every day and that I could, uh, you know, tell those stories to the media. And then now today, you know, being able to do it through the Kings Island blog and uh, or on social media. And it was just, uh, you know, that by having that experience being the subject of it myself, you just know there's so many ways to, to keep uh, the part top of mind awareness out there.
0: Oh, that's true. What do you think your KI legacy will be? You're riding the <laughs> racer or as Don, the PR guy?
1: I think it's definitely, you know, riding the racer. I think more people still, even though I've been at the park now for 15 years, more people still know and associate me as the racer guy. Uh, the guy that settled the racer record. So I think that's always going to be the legacy when, mm-hmm. when people think of Don Helbig and Kings Island, the coaster is going to be the first thing that comes to mind.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what distinct marks did you have in sheep and Kings Island as we see it today? Like, are you responsible for specifically naming something or something that's in the park now?
1: You know, there's different, uh, things that I definitely, you know, have my fingerprints on, um, I suggested the name for Diamondback that uh, the, the GM at the time, Greg Scheid, really liked and took it to corporate. And, you know, they agreed that would be a good name for it. So there's Diamondback. Mm-hmm. Tropical Plunge was another one that we were trying to find uh, names for it. Um, so we settled on that. I had thrown that one out there. Uh, the Reds Hall of Fame Grill. We knew we wanted it to be Red something, you know, so there was a lot of collaboration in that. But that was the All one right. that I did put out there with that so uh you know those three things even though the, the Reds Hall of Fame girl is no longer there but uh, so you know years from now you know uh, my daughter goes there and she has kids and then she can point to Diamondback and say your grandfather you know is the one that suggested the name for that <laughs> so <laughs> there's those kind of things
0: right yeah yeah that's really cool so this pull out Diamondback what made you think of Diamondback as a name for the for that coaster
1: I thought when I looked at the layout and design of the ride that it kind of had the characteristics of a diamondback snake, you know, it was big, mean, aggressive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, being in Rivertown, you know, uh, I, I kind of thought that could kind of fit a snake type theme. So that's where I you know, thought Diamondback would, would be a good name. But I also thought that name lent itself to a, a really great logo, you know, something that was going to be sustainable, you know, and, and something people were going to want to buy you know, 25, 30 years from now, just much mm-hmm. like the East logo where it's still as, um, you know, in demand and today as it was in 1979, you know, people just right. love the logo. So I wanted something like that um, when, you know, thinking of a name is how does the logo work? Uh, so that's why Diamondback was the one I ended up submitting. Now I've submitted a lot of names that got nixed right away too. So it's not <laughs> it's not like I'm the name master, you know, so right. uh, there, there's a lot of them that, uh, you know, quickly got dismissed. So when there's a new ride coming, does everybody
0: at the park that's or a gold tag get to kind of put their name in the hat and get discussed or how does that work?
1: As the years have gone on, it's a much more collaborative discussion, you know, mm-hmm. between the park, uh, an agency, uh, corporate marketing, you know, so it's a lot more of a collaborative effort. Back when I first started working there it was pretty much the park marketing and, you know, would come up with the idea and we'd run it by corporate and Rob Decker and and, uh, you know, that was that, but, uh, you know, there's definitely a lot more people involved in the process now today.
0: Well, we're going to shift gears just a little bit. Um, I had a question that, you know, I get asked, and I'm sure you get asked quite a bit, whatever happened
1: to the ACE walkbacks? The ACE walkback, uh, I, you're right. I get asked about that all the time too. Uh, it started 1979, uh, Ruth Voss, felt that since there was a lot of members of the American coaster enthusiasts, and they were just getting off the ground at that time. So there was maybe four mm-hmm. or five hundred members, but they were coming from all over the country uh, to ride the beast. And one of the things that she wanted to do was give them an opportunity to be the first to ride it uh, that day. So they would meet out, you know, in front of the an international street and she would walk them back to the beast and, you know, they would be the first riders of the day. Well, that right. tradition carried on all the way. Into 2008, uh, when I first got there, that was something I really enjoyed doing every day. was was going out and you know meeting the ACE members and uh, escorting them back to the right hearing about what they're you know what they plan-, plan to do for that day or other rides that they've been riding you know, uh-huh. around the country and and uh, just really you know just seeing everybody every day. Well, right. in 2009, we started the Gold Pass early ride times,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's and the Beast was on that list. Uh, so that's what uh, ended the. Uh, the ace walkback specific ace walkback yeah yeah it was was the introduction of early ride time and the beast being on that list mm-hmm. was that uh, you know it's it's a ride that is very difficult to wake up in the morning As you can imagine being as big as it is oh my you know, it takes four hours you know maintenance to walk the track and have it ready to go every day so if it was going to be open at 9 30 for gold pass holders i mean there wasn't any window really to to keep taking Bring them in Oh. with that so you know before there was you know the gates would open everybody came at the same time and you would just gather the ace members and walk them back well, now everybody's coming in at the same time early ride times now underway right so it wasn't that that window to do it uh, so that's what happened to it you know it was a great thing uh, people enjoyed it still get mm-hmm. asked about it uh and like a lot of the ace members i miss it too right
0: hmm. so let's talk a little bit about kosher stock how did kosher stock get born for king's island
1: I wanted to have a coaster event at the park like a lot of the other parks have, you know, Mm -hmm. something that would be sustainable, uh, something that uh, everybody would look forward to doing again and again and again, you know, would be like that, uh, you know, anticipation, can't wait for tickets to go on sale. Uh, But it took a lot of um, it wasn't I didn't want to do it just to do it. I wanted to learn. Uh, I took several years to ask people that I knew were going to some of these different events. Uh, whether it was Coast Romania at Cedar Point, you know, and some of the other ones out there, right? Uh, the ACE National Convention. And I, and I wanted to gather information. You know, what did you like about these events? What didn't you like about these events? I also had my own experiences uh, before I started working at Kings Island, going to these different events. right? So I wanted to collect enough information there about that. Uh, I also wanted to, it was hard to find a date that was going to work where you mm-hmm. weren't competing with another event. Right. I I didn't want it to be a situation where someone had to decide, Okay, you know, if it was going to be the weekend before, weekend after and head to head, I didn't want to put coaster enthusiasts in that situation where they had to decide. Right. I wanted wanted to have a date that worked for everybody, you know, worked for us. It worked for the other parks. It worked for the enthusiasts. Uh, So finding that opportunity was 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 kind of difficult. But it was also something that I wanted to make sure as I gathered all this information and what was important to everybody that we had an event that while there was ERT in the morning and at night, it wasn't about that, Uh, that what people looked forward to most was the camaraderie that they would have, you know, uh, making new friends, seeing old friends the next year. uh, Just all those like-minded people coming together, you know, share the experience of the ride and roller coasters all over the world and just have it be that, uh, you know, just that big gathering of people, everyone's descending upon King's Island. That's where the, you know, the stock part of it, you know, from Woodstocks, so it was coaster stock uh, <laughs> with that. So had to have all those pieces come together, you know, and then once I gained all that knowledge, the other piece of that is you just can't say we're going to do this event. You have to have buy-in from all the different divisions, right? Coaster stock uh, for it to work operations has to be, you know, all in Right. Uh, food and beverage has to be all in merchandise has to be all in. Admissions—they have to be all in. Everybody has to be as excited about that event at the park as I am, they right? To make it work, you know, and, and they have been, which is great. Uh, mm-hmm. That's why the event's been, you know, well received and successful because all the associates and all these different, uh, you know, departments, you know, they have all made it a, a special event for the, for the participants. And I wanted it to be something that uh, you know, people—it just became that big family reunion every year.
0: Well, yeah, I have to agree with that being going to every single one of them, uh, since its inception, uh, it it does feel like that. And being someone who also met a spouse at Coaster Stock, um, you do get that family connection and, and build relationships. Um, you could eventually come out with a spouse going to Coaster Stock.
1: Yeah, exactly. But it was about, you know, and we could sell a lot more tickets to the event than we do, but it was important that if you were coming from, you know, we get uh, like for this year, there's going to be 28 different States represented. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, there's been 26 to 28 different States in Canada, you know, all the past years too. So what we don't want is for someone to come all the way from say, California or Georgia. And that's their first time at King's Island. They've heard about, you know, the beast rides at night. And because there's so many people there, it was just like any other day in the park and they only got the ride at one or two times at night. So I wanted right. to be something that, you know, there was definitely value
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, for, for the ticket price that you were able to get, you know, all the rides that you wanted and all the attractions that were going to be listed. And then you got those other experiences as well with the behind the scenes tours. And, and then you also get a chance to sample, you know, the different uh, foods and that, that, uh, you know, our culinary team, you know, puts together that, uh, you know, a lot of people just don't know about.
0: Right. Exactly. So did it grow in popularity as fast as you thought it would? Cause you know, last year when we couldn't have it due to COVID, um, it sold out, sold, it, sold, man, I can't talk. It sold out very quickly. Um, and this year the same, it, uh, was sold out in what a couple hours.
1: It sold out this year in about 15 minutes. Oh, wow. Uh, last, last year was last 11 year was hours. hours when, yeah. yeah. Last year was 11 hours. And, uh, it, now it's always reached our maximum number of tickets. It just took longer toward the very end. And, Part of that was the first you know, two, three years of it, the tickets would just go on sale. You know, there mm-hmm. wasn't a lot of aggressiveness on, on my end to, to really, you know, push it out there. But the last couple of years, you know, I made it more of an event, you know, let people know, you know, save the date, tickets go on sale, 10 o'clock this date, Right. Kind of, you know, that rock concert approach uh, to mm-hmm. you know, tickets go on sale. And, uh, you know, once everybody's reminded of it, you know, they know they don't want to miss out. Um when that happened last year, you know, a lot of people that waited, you know, until the end of April, beginning of May or whatever to buy their ticket and some mm-hmm. of them missed out. So they definitely weren't going to let that happen this time around. Um, so they were ready to, to ready to go when tickets went on sale. But uh, I thought after the the first year going into the second year, when I saw the number of returners, uh, then I knew that we had executed a pretty good event the year before because it was good enough that people wanted to do it again. Right. Uh, so. Uh, that was uh, when we knew we kind of had the right, you know, the right formula for it. Um, And then, you know, as you get the regulars that come back year after year and then word of mouth spreads. So it's, it's, you know, it's gone probably better than I thought it would, Mm -hmm. you know, go. I knew people would like it. I knew we'd be able to, to get the capacity, but just to see, you know, how excited people are for the event and, and how they are so excited to see everybody. I think that's, you know, it's not just about the rides. Everybody likes seeing the people that they've met, you know, all those friends that they've been able to connect with through this.
0: Right. And people from KIC, they meet up and get to put a screen name to a face, and um, that's always really cool. Oh, exactly. Well, let's fast forward to current times and discuss what's going on with the racer right now, since you know, it's kind of been the subject uh, for the podcast is um, over the past several years, Kings Island has been doing a lot of track work on the racer. And this year is another big portion of the track is being worked on. Can you go into details about this work?
1: Well, you know, I mean, the thing about it is every year since the the racer opened in 1972 and that's for every ride in the park. I mean, there's always work that goes on, you know, during the season. And then after the season, some years more extensive uh, than others, but uh, back in, 2018 19 both sides of the the turnaround you know we're redone you know right. the rides getting up there you know it's it's going to be it's it's entering its 50th season you know 49 years old but 50th wow. season this year mm-hmm. so it's got a lot of age on it and when you have an attraction like the racer and any ride in the park you know when when they they've been part of your history that you want to preserve the ride you want to make sure that it gets another you know 50 years out of right. it mm-hmm. so you're always having to put in the work um and like I said, some years more extensive than others. Uh, this year, a lot of the work that needed to be done was those uh, first two hills after the drop, so hills two and three, and then the fifth hill, you know, coming off that fourth hill, you need, needed some work, so that's where a lot of the uh, the work that you see, or you're going to see when you get to the park this year, has been done. Uh, the Gravity Group did the part from the first drop uh, to the fourth hill. Uh, Kings Island's team did the the part, uh, for the fifth hill, oh, okay. uh, a couple of years before that, uh, GCI did the, the turnarounds. Uh, so between John Allen, GCI, now gravity group Kings on, you got a lot of different, a <laughs> lot of different people involved with this ride, but it's what you have to do to, you know, preserve it. And, mm-hmm. uh, what we, what basically, you know, you're going to have here is it's just more, you know, just more modernizing the ride, you know, what it would be today if it opened. Right. You'd have to do so. That's basically, um, you know, why the work, you know, is going into it. And and just to make sure that the racers here, you know, 50 years from now for people to enjoy.
0: Right. Now, you said, you know, they did some different work on it and try to bring it up to how it would be today if it was built. Did any of the hills get reprofiled or changed during this work this time?
1: There are slight Profile changes. Uh, if you got a really keen eye, you can you can tell when you're looking at it. Uh, but the the second and third hills, a little profiling difference there. And then on the fifth hill, a little bit difference. Uh, but that's just, you know, again, to to kind of make the ride. If you were to the redesign it today, what you would do? You know, you just have more knowledge of, mm-hmm. of wooden roller coasters in 2021 than you did in 1971 when the ride was being built.
0: I see. Well, that's definitely very cool. Um, Are they using any different type of lumber or anything during this track work? Uh, Down at uh, Holiday World at their event, uh, they had talked about some of the track work they've been doing on their wood coasters. They're using a harder wood uh, to help keep it longevity and not have to replace it as often. Is, Is that being done on the racer this year?
1: I, you know, I can't really speak to the type of wood. Uh, that they're using Uh, i can tell you that over the years different types of woods uh, have been incorporated into the ride so it's not all what it was when it first opened right Uh, but uh, you know i really can't speak to the the exact type of wood that's in it
0: so someone who's rode it a couple years ago and gonna open it uh ride it on opening day uh what can riders expect to be different when they
1: ride it this year i think it's going to feel a little faster to them maybe Okay. You know, that especially the first half of the ride, because not so much those first two, three little hills, but going over the fourth hill, uh-huh. I think it might feel that you're getting a little more speed going up up that.
0: Well, that sounds good. Uh, is there anything else that we need to know about the racer for this coming season or any other ride before it kicks off here in a couple of weeks?
1: You know, in addition to the track work that you see on the racer, uh, the KI Miami Valley Railroad has had a lot of track work, a lot of new track on that. Uh, not necessarily something you can see while you're riding based on where you're sitting on the train, but, uh, right. you know, so just as extensive as the racer work was this offseason, same thing with the train. Oh, wow. uh, Orion's a ride that uh, because of what we had last year, you know, not a lot of people had an opportunity to to make their way to Kings Island to ride it. Right. Uh, it ended up being voted best new amusement park attraction in 2020 uh, by USA Today readers. You know, we're Mm -hmm. very proud of that. Um, You know, so we're excited for people to, you know, to begin traveling a little bit more, you know, getting a chance to come to King's Island and experience Orion because it's, it's a fantastic ride. And uh, I think when, when, when people ride it, it's one of those attractions that you get off the ride and you want to get right back in line and ride it again.
0: Right. Well, I do want to take a second to acknowledge King's Island Cedar Fair for upkeeping their wood coasters and the awesome Kings Island maintenance team who keeps it going every single day. For someone who's at Kings Island a lot and doesn't explore too many other parks when you go to those other parks you get a better sense of how much Kings Island the maintenance team cares for keeping up its wood coasters and that that definitely is something that I think might get taken for granted. And I think it needs acknowledged that you guys do an awesome job keeping up the wood coasters at that park.
1: Yeah. I appreciate that, Brad. You know, I'll tell you, it's something that Kings Island is, is taken pride in and not just with the wood coasters, but all of the rides Or the maintenance teams through the years, you know, just making sure that, uh, you know, everything, you know, they, they, they put so much effort into all of the rides and, mm-hmm. and it's great that, know uh, you know, you're acknowledging that.
0: And you know when i walk in the park safety i know is taken care of it's not even on my mind uh, when walking to the park i just know the maintenance team's got it parks got it not an issue
1: so what does the park think about king's island central <laughs> well you know i can't really speak for everybody but i i, I will tell you that um with KI Central and, you know, from my perspective and, you know, some others, there's definitely value there. Uh, you know, it's, it's a way for us to, to gather information. You know, we can, we can see what people, you know, what their feedback is. When we do different events uh, we can see, you know, when we open new attractions, you know, the, the enthusiasm that's there when we first announce it, uh, you know, uh, how that might change from the time a ride opens. I think one of the uh, stories there that that's worth telling is when we first, announced Mystic Timbers, there was so much disappointment that it wasn't a record breaker and it was a wooden coaster and it's only 109 feet tall. It's only 3,200 feet long. It only goes 53 (laughs) miles an hour. And, you know, just a lot of, a lot of, you know, it wasn't just KI Central. I mean, that was everywhere. Everybody was kind of negative about the ride, but I knew in my mind, you know, and, and I, I knew from having ridden, other gci coasters and that that it was going to be a phenomenal ride and it was quickly going to become a favorite with a lot of the same people that were right uh, not excited about it but to see that change too you know that's always uh you know fun for me to watch is to see how how that evolves you know the the sentiment you know from i'm disappointed it wasn't what they they dreamed it was going to be right to to the reality of what it is and then after they ride it they love it uh but no there's definitely you know a lot like i said a lot of value there um with it 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 has a place um it's it's a way that uh it keeps the king's island you know a lot of the the real diehard fans stay connected you know through there right Uh, keeps the chatter going it keeps the park top of mind uh so there's a lot of good things with it uh some of the negative that happens though is that uh you know, you might have a ride that temporarily stops on a lift because the train in front of it didn't pass its block yet. You know, they're typing on their thing that, oh, great, this ride's now stuck on the lift hill. They hit publish. It's on there. You know, somebody from the media might see that they call us and want to know what the deal is. But by the time that they hit submit, you know, 10 seconds later, the ride's running. Right. So we're having to take some time out of our day to address a non-issue, you know, something that happens routinely at every amusement park in the world in everything amusement theme park where, you know, rides were, will stop, you know, for a few seconds here and there. Right. Uh, so that's the kind of thing, you know, the, the, that, that comes with that territory of having, uh, you know, fans that like KI central or really even social media today, where uh, there's a lot of, you know, reaction out there, you know, that people will, will post about something and then seconds later, that's not the case anymore. Right. And we try to clean that up as
0: fast as we can. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but I mean, like care I say, it. it's, but it's
0: it's not perfect, you know.
1: But I'll say this, Brad. You know, I, I think it, you know if people didn't care about Kings Island, they wouldn't comment about the park. They that's wouldn't be true. on chaos Central. So you you take that, uh, you know, any day. You'll take you'll take the passionate group that that wants to to point things out. You know, that's not to their satisfaction. You know, over you know a group of people that don't care. Right. Very true.
0: Well, really appreciate you coming on, Don, and talking about your racer days and some of the enthusiast things going on and uh, giving us an update about the racer for the 2021 season.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Brad. Uh, You know, i enjoyed the conversation with you and look forward to seeing you at the park.
0: Thank you for listening to the King's Island Central Podcast. KICentral.com is King's Island's ultimate fan site. For more discussion about King's Island and other amusement parks, join us over at KICentral.com.